Welcome to Behind the Bill, podcast by the Webster Auto Collective. I'm your host, Sam Webster, and I'm excited to take you on a journey behind the scenes of the automotive world. Each episode will dive deep into the minds of automotive enthusiasts and professionals, exploring their passion, creativity, and automotive culture. We believe that behind every great build is an even better story worth sharing, and we're here to uncover those stories. From classic cars to modern machines, from racers to collectors, we'll bring you the stories that make the automotive world so exciting and diverse. Whether you're a seasoned gearhead or just love cars, we invite you to take a dive into the minds of a modern-day car enthusiast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Levi Shirley. Levi is a professional race car driver who races in a series called Ultra 4. You might know Ultra 4 from the King of the Hammers race in Johnson Valley, California every year. It brings out about 100,000 people to spectate. Um, it is one of the absolute most uh, high-level off-road racing series that there is in the world, and Levi is racing in the unlimited class. Not only has he raced in North America, but also in Europe. And I'm really excited to be able to talk to him and pick his brain on what it's like to be a professional race car driver and how his uh, passion for cars has turned into a career. And so I'd really like to welcome Levi Shirley. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, ha- happy to be here. Um, again, my name is uh, Levi Shirley. And man, you did an amazing job. Uh, I-, I couldn't have done a better introduction for myself. So that, they, thank you. <laughs> of course, I'm really happy to have you to the, here today. Um, you know, I know a little bit about you, and, but could you kind of tell the viewers a little bit more about what Ultra 4 Racing is and how you got involved in that? Yeah, so Ultra 4 Racing is basically an unlimited uh, four-wheel drive class. Um, you know, in a lot of different off-road racing uh, venues, uh, people always try to take the, the path of least resistance. And I would say with Ultra 4, especially King of Hammers, um, we choose the hardest path. Um, we race from from coast to coast. And I don't mean that literally. I mean, you know, we, we, we haul them places. Um, but we race as far east as Pennsylvania and as far west as um, California through the roughest terrain. Um, basically how I would describe an ultra four car, it'd basically be the, uh, a Swiss army knife of a race car. It can, it can literally do a little bit of everything. Um, I raced, uh, King of the Hammers, which is the toughest one day off-road race in the world. Um, and then I took the same car, turned around and raced Pike's Peak with it that very same year. Um, I did took that same car and went up to Crayon, Wisconsin and raced a short course race. Um, so basically these cars are just Swiss army knife cars. Um, us as drivers have to be really diverse as well. Uh, it's not just your, Hey, turn left or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we have to be a little bit, I, I describe us as kind of, uh, of, of, of half assers in every single for format. Like our cars are like, they go desert racing, sort of. Like they do, they do a decent job in the desert. And then, you know, they can go short course racing, sort of. They can go do that stuff. They can be rock crawlers, sort of. But yeah, basically, we just have to do a little bit of everything with these cars. They're not really built for one purpose. Um, and so, which makes them very interesting and, and very uh, unique to build and prep and set up. Right. And, and so I actually got to see your new car. Uh, at the Off-Road Expo in Pomona, California. That's actually where I met Levi. I was there at a booth um, and he was checking out some of the work that we were doing. And it was nice enough to show me his brand new car that he hadn't even started racing yet. Um, and you know, can you tell us a little bit about what an Ultra 4 car entails? Like what parts do you have in there? Um, what are, what are the, the basic, you know, what axles, what engine, all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, just you know, the basics. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So my class is 4400 that's the that's the class i race within uh vulture racing it is 100 percent unlimited which is amazing they put safety caps on us um as far as you know what fire signatures minimum sizes um the cars have to weigh you know if the cars weigh x the tubing diameter and thickness has to be x um so yeah so they put safety restrictions on us but as far as the cars go there's really no car, two cars that are alike. I mean, of course, people build the same cars and they're within teams or whatever that have the same cars, but um, we're 100% unlimited. Um, they are two chassis, uh, mainly Cromali uh, cars. A lot of times they have uh, 
a, a bypass and coil over per corner. They could be independent front suspension, like my cars are, um, or a solid front axle, like similar to a Jeep. Um, they can have solid rear axles. They can have independent rear axles. Um, they can be V8s, V6s, four cylinders, um, rear engine, front engine. So it's kind of it's kind of a loaded question on trying to describe Ultra Four car because they are so unique that there, there's, like I said, there's no two cars alike, and uh, w- which makes the sport really interesting. There, there's certain tracks that a certain setup works better, and there's certain tracks that another setup works better. So, um, you know, my particular uh, Ultra Four car and what I chose to build. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a new car for us this year, which we're which we're learning is a uh, two seat, uh, independent front suspension, solid axle rear, uh, with a LT base, which is just the you, you know the new version of the LS or whatever uh, in the rear, and, and more or less mid engine, um, with a four L eighty four speed transmission. Uh, with a divorced single speed transfer case and then like I said, an independent front suspension and a uh, kind of a Ford nine inch, we call them 10 inches up front with 40 inch uh, Yokohama tires up front. They had and rear, I should say. It's, they're really amazing. I mean, it's kind of like you've, you've married a trophy truck and a rock crawler together. Um, you're running that to massive tires. Um, but it doesn't look like a big, tall Jeep. Like your, your truck looks more squatted, low to the ground. Um, and one thing that's amazing, that's very different from the world that I'm in, which is more of the three runners is that there is so much plating. There's there, you have so much heavy gauge steel over everything. And that makes sense because you guys are just constantly bouncing them over rocks, right? Yeah. So the front ends, um, it, it, it's 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 very funny coming um you, you know our, our worlds from the desert racing community and the rock crawling community really kind of mesh when it comes to ultra four cars and the desert community doesn't know quite what to think when they look at an ultra four car because they just think it's so overbuilt but then they see what the car has to do and in the speed we're hitting these rocks and certain things that they 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 get clicks with them um my car weighs just as much as a trophy truck i mean maybe a little bit shy but end of the day we have 50 gallons of fuel on the car you know very similar to a truck truck um you know they they have probably another third or so um yeah so it's just two seats it's just way 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 heavy and you never you never guess if the front ends have to be the 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 strongest part of the whole deal because we're hitting so many rocks (laughs) up front um right best way to describe it's like a bulldozer man it is it 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 just hits stuff and and keeps on going and that's kind of the name of the game now you watch some of the videos and it looks like uh, a section that you know you'd find in boab somewhere people crawling over rocks really slowly you guys are just foot to the floor going through this stuff, which is so different than what most people see, which is probably why Ultra 4 has become so popular, especially the unlimited class trucks, because it's just so violent um, and amazing to watch. It really is. And so this is your second car, right? And Loretta was your first, the, the previous car? Yeah, Loretta, Loretta was my, was my uh, previous car. It's a car that I campaigned from about 2000 and... Yeah. Hold on, if you need to wait on that. Sorry, I, dude, I have dogs, and I'm surprised none of them have gone off. I'm I'm gonna go walk him okay. up real fast. He was asleep, and all of a sudden, I'll get late again. Sorry. Hey, come on. Hey, no, no, no. No, dude, it's good. I I have two dogs, and if anybody even remotely like knocks on the door or whatever, we're we're 
yeah, we're, we're, I'd have to do the same thing. So gotcha. No worries. It's easy to edit. Oh, stuff okay. So yeah. we'll, we'll back, yeah. back up to, uh, Loretta. Okay. Tell me about your, your previous car. Yeah. So Loretta was a car that, or is a car that I campaigned starting in about 2013. Um, it was the chassis was built in Gilbert, Arizona at Campbell Enterprises, and it's a single seat car. Uh, it's port powered by an LSX, uh, 454 cubic inch, uh, you know, small block LS based platform with a, uh, 680. So a six speed, and then as a married transfer case, which is a two speed, uh, again, independent front suspension, solid axle rear, very set up, very similar to the way my new car is. Um, but you know, as well as I do race cars, they, 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 even with the best prep in the world, they, they, they just eventually get out teched um you know the technology progresses and and i've tried my best to keep up with with the progression of of ultra racing um from you know 2013 to to, to now um in that 10 years span but uh, at some point you kind of got to say uncle and you got to start over with a new platform um that that really you know filled the voids of where where loretta did Gotcha. And so, you know, you talk about the technological advances. What, what changed on your new car versus the old car? What did you need to upgrade to continue to be competitive? Yeah. So the main thing with the new car is we wanted to gain some width. Um, you know, we widened the car out, um, as well as leaked in the car out. One thing that the old car, uh, suffered in, I felt like was had a little bit too high of CG. Um, so as far as when it, when it comes to anything with speed, um, it, it, it sure suffered. Um, so this new car, we tried to make as low as possible, get the weight down low, get all the CG as low as possible, as well as help that stability feeling by making it wider and longer as well. So that's kind of some of the main, you know, key takeaways is just getting that weight down a little bit further. Um, and of course horsepower in the new car was it was a big deal too <laughs> so what kind of horsepower are you pushing um the so one? the new one is right at 600 uh at the wheels um to, to give you an idea of my old car um between all the the i don't know the correct term for this the parasitic loss between all the drivetrain <laughs> um it what was about 650 at the crank um was down to about which, which Horsepower is on uh, horsepower on a dyno is all relative, right? But I mean, it, it put down about three hundred to the tires. So this one's r- roughly oh, wow. double, um, but it's a little it's a little bit the new car is a little bit heavier, so it's kind of it's kind of a wax on which one is truly faster. Gotcha. So you're since around the trophy truck weight, you're like six thousand. Yep. Yep. Pounds, it's, it's something like that. Six thousand and two pounds on the scales, uh, full of fuel. Um, you know, re- ready to go, ready, ready to race. You know, one thing about Ultra Four is that we have to be completely self-sustained. We can't receive any outside help on the course, and so uh, we don't have. If we break down in the middle of the desert or on a trail or whatever, we can't have anybody come help us, or else we're disqualified from the race. So we have to carry all of our own tools, spare parts, so drive shafts, uh, steering pumps, alternators. Um, Anything that you might have a fear of, basically, you uh, you got to carry it because you can't receive any outside help. So that sets us a little bit apart from desert racing because trophy trucks, when they break down in Baja, their chase trucks, most of the time, not all the time, show up and get them fixed up and go on their way. So yeah, we have a we have quite a bit of weight is all I'm getting at from, from saying that uh, just as fair parts. Um, bolted on the car so you're a, a driver navigator and a mechanic yeah all, yeah, all the same so it's a it's a wide range of skills that it, you gotta have to be able to it, it is it, and one thing we did with this new car is we uh we made it a two-seat car my old car was a single seat car so this new car is two-seat so i have help so when it comes time to say change a tire uh drive shaft navigating anything like that it really alleviated a lot of uh responsibility off of me per se so sure wow i didn't realize that your other car was a single seat yeah i i 
I, I, I just kind of got sick of it. You know, you're, you're, you're having to change tires or navigate or whatever. And it just, it got, it just got too much for me. So, um, decided to right. share that load a little bit. And, and with this new car, this new car doesn't have a real comfortable, uh, second seat. We call it a 1.5 seater because it's a pretty small guy that has to be able to fit in the passenger seat there. So, um, it, it, it's just barely enough, but 99% of the other races, uh, that, that ultra four has, I'll be by myself. Gotcha. So you're racing both cars tomorrow. It's you haven't completely moved over. Um, you, you know, I, I lent out my old car at King of the Hammers and I have not, uh, got it back yet. There, the, the shop that I, that, that I went to, to is reprepping it. Uh, so I haven't raced it at all this year. Um, but I, I've primarily switched over to the new one per, per, pretty much. So I'm going to probably need to get that old car uh, listed up for sale here here before too long. But I, I've really been dragging my feet because I haven't wanted to do that yet because I wanted to make sure I had all the bugs worked out of the new one before I just sold it off and was screwed, basically, because we got a lot on the line and we can't, we, we can't be uh, putting all of our eggs in one basket, per se. Sure. And so did you did you build the first car? Were you hands-on with that or did you have a shot? Um, I, I was very hands-on. So I basically did it as I could afford it. Um, with that being said, um, Campbell Enterprises, um, if you don't know who Shannon Campbell is, just Google it and you'll figure it out. He has won King of the Hammers three times. Um, I went to him and said, hey, can, can this, this is basically my budget. Um, you know, what, what could you do for me? And basically we did a rolling chassis with that. So I got the... Uh, got that car as a as a bare chassis um a lot of the the major stuff was done so that the shock mounts were there the the a-arms were done so the car as far as suspension um was all done i just had to put my drivetrain in it um finished fabricating and wiring and plumbing it and uh went from there and just did it as i could do it essentially very cool i didn't i didn't realize that that shannon campbell was the guy that built the chassis for you. That's yeah, cool. I, you know, I learned a long time ago, um, especially as competitive as we are racing, is you let the experts be experts, right? Um, I, I try to be as rounded as possible because in the, the day, I'm the driver behind, you know, behind the wheel there. Um, and I got to know how to work on everything. But I've learned that, that I'm not a chassis manufacturer and I don't know if I'm ever going to be. Um, in the, the day, as... You know, I'm sitting in that seat. I have, um, you know, a, a wife and kids come home to, and I need to make sure it's safe. Um, as well as sometimes you, you kind of got to, it, it, it's a lot better to go straight to the, to the best. You know, you could screw around and spend 14 times the money getting to the end product, or you can just go straight to the end product and be done. Um, and, and know you're going to have a good, safe car that works. And, and that's essentially what I chose to do. Right. Yeah, one of those buy once cry once <laughs> situations where you know that you're probably going to spend more money going with someone like that, but it's done by a real professional who has all those bugs worked out, all the research and development's pretty much done, um, and you can just go and throw the other parts. And that, that's amazing. And it's the same kind of process with your new car. Did you have a chassis manufacturer do that? And then you did yes. the rest? No, um, not not entirely. So something that's very unique about my new car. Um, is the fact that it it was not built in the USA. It was built over in the UK. Um, so a little bit of a long story, but um, in 2013, I got the opportunity to go race overseas. Um, you know, when you're racing there, you're you're really it, it's hard to prepare for that. You know, you don't have all the tools, you don't have everything that you need. Um, so I had to start friending people. Uh, the guy that uh, kind of took me under his wing on uh, that whole racing uh in europe venture ended up building cars as well so we have established a really good relationship over the years and he ended up building this car from scratch for me so yeah Either that's amazing and so i mean it definitely it looks different than a lot of the other cars that are out there it has that kind of european feel to it not so much like the the traditional you know ultra four car and i like it i think it's really cool what it what what are the thoughts of the other racers in the field is it's kind of out there or are people kind of accepting of this new this new car 
Um, you know, pe- people are are very accepting of it, and you know, I kind of get some contact, so, so, some kind of not so cool comments here and there with it, whatever. But um, it, it, end of the day, it's it is what it is. Um, I think everybody that's a serious racer understands and uh, gets it. Listen, nothing against any of the builders here in the U.S. I, I, I love I love all their work. It, it's amazing. I just had an opportunity to do something a little bit different than the rest of the field was doing here in the States. Um, you know, I sourced all the parts here, shipped them over um, to avoid a lot of uh, A, taxes, and, and B, just, yeah, it's, it was just a very affordable way for me to do it um, and ship the car over as a complete car. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, nothing against any of those other builders. I just, I, I got to work with the builder on what I wanted, uh, versus if you go to the, you know, Campbell's or, um, you know, UFO or Jimmy's four by four or whatever that the main people here in the U S they're going to build what they already build or produce. And I have had some ideas, um, that I wanted implemented and, um, I think we did good with this new car. So it's, yeah, it's so cool. What is, what is a car, a competitive car in that field cost? If you were to, I mean, it, it varies a lot, obviously, but I mean, are these hundred thousand dollars? Is it a half a million dollars for one of these crazy um, cars? So, you know, it, it, it really varies from car to car. You know, I would say if you wanted to go out, buy a car, have a car built, I should say. And with zero sponsors paying paying for everything out of pocket, and um, and you wanted to be at the top of the class, you're you're going to be pushing over three hundred thousand. Um, you know, luckily I have some amazing sponsors, and I don't have to do that. Um, they're anywhere close to that, um, which is awesome, and and it's amazing. You can find amazing cars selling for a third of that. You know, used race cars. Um, and you could do that. I'm sure you know that from any sport, uh, people getting out of it or whatever they, they, you can buy some amazing cars for sure. You know, pennies, p- pennies on the dollar. Right. Well, obviously you've got a Yokohama shirt on. Yeah. And when I met you, you were all decked out in Yokohama stuff. Um, that's one of your main sponsors. Yep. Right. Yep. Yokohama has been my, uh, title sponsor for my program for about three years now. Very cool. So how did you go from, you know, obviously when you're a kid, you're probably interested in cars too. Um, how did you go from that to becoming a professional race car driver? What does that look like? Man, that's, it's a, I'm sure that's a long story. It is. Um, You know, I started racing at a really young age, uh, racing go-karts and I was not amazing. It's, it's not like I put on a helmet and I was, you know, um, Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen. I, I was I was not that guy whatsoever. I think I tore up more carts than um, than I care to admit. Um, so my family is very into circle track racing um, as a hobby. No, nothing competitive. Nothing. Nothing crazy. Just on a local level. Um, but at the same time, my family is very into off roading, jeeping. Go to Colorado mountains, go down to Texas, go to New Mexico. Um, I'm based right here in, uh, Kansas. So we're, we're essentially located. I'm able to go anywhere. So in 2006 or seven, there was a, a much smaller association come out that raced primarily in Colorado, uh, that my dad somehow got involved with in. And, uh, a few years later, I found myself in the driver's seat because he wanted to make it more of a family sport and uh yeah kind, kind of the, the worlds of of racing off-road and circle track and stuff kind of combined and uh that's essentially how i got started in it i didn't really i didn't really start doing it competitively till about probably 10 years ago um as far as the, the on a professional level um, I was always very, I, I was always very aware when I was saying and doing and this and that, not bashing people and not doing this, it, which I think helped me get to where I am today, um, especially in the industry. Um, 
and I think that's important. I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize that what they're doing online as an amateur, if they ever want to go professional, some of those, uh, things that they do and say and how they act really kind of, and I didn't mean to snowball this and anything really will affect them, uh, um, on down the line. Um, so I always just try to be professional, no. clean cut, um, you know, be approachable, be nice. And, uh, it has really led me to where I am today. That's wild. So did you, did you have, like, when did you cross that threshold from going, you know, amateur racing to, you know, maybe I can actually be like, do this for a living. Like how, how did you, when did that happen? Um, and was it in ultra four? Yeah. It, yeah. All, all, all of my racing has been, um, in ultra four, you know, there's been a couple other small associations that I've, uh, you know, run with, but ultra four has been the primary one to kind of catapult me into a per- very professional level. Um, I can't remember the exact year. I want to say about 2018, uh, my, uh, my, 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 my mom and dad, um, had a business that they started 30 years ago. They had sold it, um, had a buyer come in. Um, basically they said, you know, do, do you want this? You know, I was shoot. 22 years old, 23 years old. Um, they came to me and said, Hey, we, we won't sell it if you want it. Um, you know, do, do you want it? And at that point in time, I knew that they started to have grandkids and they were, were wanting to retire. And I knew as long as I had the business, my, my mom wouldn't ever retire. She'd still have to be running the books and have that stress. And, uh, I, I chose the, the, to, to let them go ahead and sell it. And, uh, I was in kind of forge my own path, um, which is, uh, in hindsight, it was a really, really good decision because that, that, that business wasn't my business. It was my parents' business. Um, and not that I wasn't good at that business or whatever. It just, it wasn't right for me. I wasn't mature enough at that point in time in my life. And, uh, again, I didn't want to keep my mom from, from retiring. So at that point it was like, yeah, you either got to sink or swim and, uh, time to kind of put all your eggs in that basket and, uh, see if you can make work. You're still young. You don't have kids, you know, there, there's, you have nothing to lose. Go for it. And, uh, from that point on, I've kind of been chipping away at it slowly. Um, it, it, it's not an easy ride and it's not what people think it is by any means. Um, you know, I'm super. I'm super, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm super low budget. And the fact that I don't pay mechanics, I don't pay, you know, it's me doing all the prep work and all the work in the shop every night, loading the trailer and driving the trailer and, uh, getting to a race and setting everything up. Um, you know, I have some good help from a volunteer aspect, but no, as far as that goes, it's, it's pretty much all me and, and, and my buddies really. So. Oh, that's great. Well, I can imagine that you've got some, your friends are super excited to be able to just be involved in something like that and a great race program and get to show up and hang with all the other racers. And, um, no, it's amazing, man. I mean, that's really what I, I like to get at here on this podcast is, you know, what does it look like to, to, how do you make it happen? You know, we see, I see all the cool uh, stuff you post on your Instagram page and you know, all the videos that are made and it just looks like hardcore thrashing and so much fun. Then you got to realize that King of the Hammers is one day, right? And how much work goes into actually, you know, one, building the career to be able to go and do it. But two, you know, loading the trailer, right? You have to have all the parts. You have to have the money to go buy on all, all the spare parts. You got to load up all of your friends, you know, make it happen. It's a huge commitment to do it. And, you know, I, I think that that's a lot for for people to swallow, you know, if they were to try and get into the racing thing, I've done a little bit of it. Um, I'd shown up, gone to the events and helped, uh, people with, with, with their trucks, but it's a lot. I can't imagine what it's like traveling all year round, trying to pull it out. How many races do you do in a year? So under contract, um, I, I'm under contract to do five races a year. Um, okay. so I'll typically do more than that. Um, 
in the years that I was doing it super heavy, we were doing as much as 13 races a year, um, wow. which is crazy. I mean, some would be like back to back, like we'd be on the West coast, uh, just stay out there for the next week or two and, and go to the next race or whatever. Uh, which is, which is a, a big benefit of, uh, you know, being, being self-employed as far as that goes. Um, but again, you're, you're having to do all the work yourself for dang sure. But how long is the season? We get hardly no downtime. Um, our, our season ends the end of October and fires up, um, middle of January, first part of February. So really nothing. And I hate it. King of the Hammers is always that, that end of January, first part of February. And it's, uh, it's tough between holidays and, and family time and stuff and, and everything to try to get everything back ready to go in time for King of the Hammers, which is essentially our biggest race of the year. Yeah. Okay. That's, I can't So 13 races. That puts you a couple of weeks in between each race to do all the prep work and fix anything that's broken. And, you know, what are some of the, what are some of the craziest events that you've had? Ones that really stand out in your mind where it's just like a thrash to make it happen? All of them, it seems like. It really seems like all of them is thrash to make happen. No matter how much time you had. You know, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're racers and um, we're going to take every second. Um, I can make up a handful of times in my life that I loaded the trailer early. Um, generally it's like, okay, we're leaving on Wednesday. Um, and we're going to be, you know, we wheeled up 6am Wednesday and it's like, it ends up being 6pm or maybe Thursday the following day go, well, you know, I kind of built a buffer into this. So, you know, all of them, um, are, are really a thrash, you know, this year at, at key the hammers, um, to give you an idea, King of the Hammers, it's a single day, but you have qualifying one day, you have, um, all the pre-running, uh, all your media stuff that you have to go to. I think I was out there 14 days this year, total, uh, start, start to finish. So it was a long, it was a long two weeks there, but this year it was just like a constant, you know, uh, get, get kicked and have to get up and kicked and get up, um. We put four transmissions in the car that the race week trying to work out a bug. And, uh, man, that, that is obviously the most recent one to me and the freshest. And so that's what I'm going to say is this year it was just a, just a knockdown drag outs, uh, got to keep on getting up every single day, uh, to make that race happen. Wow. What is, what, so what does King of the Hammers look like? For, so you said you have 14 days out mm -hmm. there. Um, and for people who don't know, it's like one of the biggest off-road races in the world. I mean, in terms of the, the attendees that go out to it, it's like a hundred thousand people plus, right? Yeah. And I, I think that number fluctuates throughout the week a little bit. I think we'll, you know, peak yeah. will be around that hundred thousand mark. Um, but yeah, so King Hammers is, a is a race in Johnson Valley, California, um, I think just north of Landers and kind of 29 Palms and that whole area down in that. Uh, yeah, anyway, it's down in that area. Um, it's it's a basically a week-long off-road festival. A lot of people kind of compare it to, say, Burning Man for, for off-road racing. And it, it, it kind of is in a, in a lot of, uh, you know, ways. It is in the middle of a dry lake bed, population zero you know, 355 days out of the year. Um, and it turns into an off-road city. Um, we have streets, uh, you know, pits and everything's marked and planned and vendor areas and camping. And it's just wild, but there's a little bit of every type of racing possible. There's short course racing, there's desert racing, there's multiple, uh, you know, Volkswagen bugs race. There's King of the Motos, which is obviously what it sounds like it's motorcycle racing through through rocks and stuff there's uh of course us ultra four racing which is four different classes there's utv racing it just every single form of off-road racing is their racing um that week in johnson valley california um and it, it's a, it's a big commitment you know we show up uh early because of media commitments trying to get all the photos and the, the videos and stuff as well as setting up our 
hint and awning and try to set up all that stuff um, and give yourself a little bit of time to breathe. And then that turns into pre-running, uh, which turns into qualifying, which turns into the race. Next thing you know, you're driving home. <laughs> it sounds intense. And, but also it's probably really exhilarating to be there with all those people cheering you on. And what, so what, describe the terrain that you're, you're racing on. So it's some high speed stuff, some rock crawling stuff. It's kind of a, a mixture of both, right? And how long are the court is the course? Yeah. Sorry. I, I probably should have gone over that, but, uh, ADHD is real in my mind. Just kind of, kind of wonders. So yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a mixture of desert racing and rock crawling. Um, so a lot of desert races and stuff you'll, you'll see on go around mountain ranges. Um, they'll send us through the mountain ranges essentially. So it's a race from trail to trail, to trail, to trail. Um, and some of those trails are spread out. I mean, huge distances, um, 20, 30, 40 miles or whatever. Um, I think total race length this year was about 190 miles. So it's just shy of 200, but in previous years we've been, uh, 220 plus, um, one thing that's, that's crazy about King of the Hammers, um, especially for our races is the attrition that a lot of people don't realize you'll have hundred cars plus start through eights and you'll have 20 or 30 cars finish. So, uh, attrition's huge out there. It's not just your, your everyday walk in the park by any means. No, not at all. Um, how have you done in those races? Do you, do you have a pretty good record with finishing? Yeah, I've, uh, shoot, this year is my, I want to say this year is my 11th or 12th year doing it. Um, got to first do it when I was a senior in high school, went 60 miles and blew the car up. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I want to say I have not finished four times out of those, um, this year being one of those with the new car. So, uh, finishing is huge in my book. Yeah. What, what's the hardest part about a handless race? Um, the navigation side of things is, is very, very tough. And just knowing when you can beat your car, um, you've obviously got to go fast and, and, and try to take some chances and, and, and push the car. Um, it, 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 but you've, you've got to also save the car. So that is probably the, the hardest part. Um, and there's a million unpredictables, right? There's, um, that guy being stuck in your line that you pre-ran in, in the rocks, you know, all week and really got to know, um, and you've got to somehow get around him. And in the meantime, you get upside down doing that and it just ruins your day, you know? So there's so many unpredictable moments like that, that, that happen at King Lammers, that you just, you just can't prepare for. Gotcha. And so I mean, have you rolled and been able to flip it back over and keep going? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. A bunch of yeah. times. I'm sure yeah, it's it, not, it, not it, that uncommon. Handful of times. Yeah. It's, it's not something I'm proud of, but these old shore cars are built to do that. I mean, they're built to be tough, right? Um, every once in a while you get the unlucky rock that might wipe out a radiator or something that you, you can't prepare for, but yeah. Um, the racing's getting so competitive now and, and down to the seconds on the finishing. Um, can't really afford to get upside down, recover, and keep on going and have any chance at the podium anymore. You're, you're just a finisher at that point. Wow, that's amazing. So uh, you talked about how you actually raced in Europe, uh, Ultra 4. And before you had mentioned that to me, I had no idea that there was Ultra 4 racing in Europe. Uh, were you one of the first American racers to go over there and compete in that series? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was the very first American to ever go over there and compete in that series. Um, Ultra 4 Europe had started and I want to say 2011 or 2012 was the first year for it. The promoter that owned Ultra 4 at that time, Ultra 4 US, and he owned Ultra 4 Europe at that time as well, um, was looking for somebody to go over there and race. Um, saying he would, he'd pay to ship their car. I would have to do the math and figure out how old I was, but I want to say I was around the 20 year old mark. And, uh, I stood right up. was like, I'll do it. I'll go. 
you know, if, is that, if you're serious on this offer, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll for sure take you up on it. Um, cause everybody else kind of backed out on him or didn't want to lose their car for half a year and so on. I jumped at the opportunity. Um, and so we went all in and shipped a car over there and, uh, raced over there for one race, um, what well, was supposed to be one race, uh, in, in Wales. And I want to say I took third place that very first race. And then I got wind of there being a second race, like a month later, I was like, well, the car is already over here. So might as well. So, uh, but it's in Portugal. And, uh, that guy that I missed that, that I told you about taking me under his wing, uh, Rob at Offroad Armory, um, said, Hey, if you want to, um, keep your car at my shop, we'll figure out a way to get it there and, um, fly home, fly back early to reprep your stuff and I'll take you to Portugal. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm not going to say no to that. And, uh, so I did, and through that process, I met, man, some of the, some of the best people I've ever met in my life, um, all, all walks of life. Um, and, uh, so race two, two, uh, two races that very first year shipped the car back and got serious enough that that, that guy over there, uh, Rob Butler at Alfred Arbery offered to build the, a, a new car just to keep over there. And so I, I jumped at that opportunity and raced over there for two more years, uh, ended up winning the European, uh, championship over there in 2015, I believe, and, uh, had a good run to 16 and ultimately just decided at that point, I, I really wanted to focus on the U S stuffs, um, cause getting trapped traveling and stuff was, was a lot and having to pay for all that stuff was a lot. Um, so I decided to primarily stick to race in the u.s and uh yeah wow that's amazing i didn't realize that you were the first person from the united states to go and race in that series and is it same rules same everything just on a different yep, concept yep exactly same rules same yep. everything um okay. it uh you know I, I if i've learned anything from just life and racing in general is like sometimes you got to be a little bit of a yes man you know go Go, go try stuff. Um, go, don't be afraid to go suck. Like that, that very first race over in Wales, I was very unequipped as far as my winch goes. And I got it stuck and buried and had to have somebody winch me out. And yeah, but through that, I gained a lot of eyes and a lot of visibilities and, and obviously formed relationships and stuff that um, are still holding to this day. And some of the best people, like I said earlier, that, I, that I've ever met in my life. Uh, are from Europe, so right. I've, that's one of the things that I love about the automotive community is that you know you can meet people all over the world that share the passion and instantly connect with them. And it's so cool that you're able to go to Europe and and find this group of people that you know brought you in and, and kind of you know let you compete in this sport on a different continent. That you know it's unheard of at the time. It, what was the terrain like? Was it Super different than the United States. There's a lot. I'm picturing wet and muddy and yeah, just nasty. Yeah, wet, muddy, uh, through bogs, um, raining all the time. If anybody's ever been to Wales, um, it's not like a super popular country to, to go visit or whatever, but, um, it is cold, wet, muddy. And that's just the type of trade, you know, here in the United States, we're so blessed to, uh, have all this OHV land and BLM land and open country that we're able to go do what we love. Um, and, and so it has a, a big following over here, over there, the land, A, there's not a lot of land. And, and so most of the time you're racing on very undesirable land to, to live on or to, to, to even walk across or to, you know, to build on, to do anything. Uh, so that's yep. the land they race on over there so winching is is a very big part of it over there um gotcha yeah and but portugal man it was like picture us southern california um rocks the size of Volkswagens. Um, we we raced through a section called dinosaur eggs that are literally exactly what i'm saying they are just 
huge 10 foot, you know, in diameter rocks that look like dinosaur eggs and, and vineyards. And, uh, it's where they have a bunch of cork trees and stuff, uh, in Vimioso, Portugal. Um, but yeah, that, that place was amazing. Oh, it sounds amazing. So you've raced in the wet, you raced dinosaur eggs, you've raced in Southern California, all across the United States, but you've also put your car on tarmac and race pike's peak with it <laughs> uh what spurred that i i, I always like to try new things like i said trying to be a little bit of a a, a yes man anytime i i get to go do anything new yeah oh, I, i'm i'm gonna do it um i've always been a huge fan of pike's peak and it and watching it and even spectating and and just wanted to get involved. Well, Yokohama has always been a huge supporter, a big sponsor of Pike Seek. So I'm like, here's my end. If, if there's a time to do it, let's, let's do it. Um, so I ultimately ended up signing up for it last year and, uh, go, going through with it. And it was one of the best things I've ever done. De definitely challenging. Um, not yeah. really from like a mechanical standpoint from kind of what I'm used to as far as having to make a car live through. Um, but, but definitely challenging in a lot of different areas. Right. Yeah. So people that don't know Pike's peak is a race to, it's, it's a hill climb to the top of a peak and, and it's like 14,000 feet, just above 14,000 feet. Um, and up until recent years, it has sections of it have been dirt. Um, they originally started as race to promote a, a tourism to, I can't remember what it was. It was a hotel. Do you, I can't remember it. Um, anyways, it's become one of the most famous hill climbs in the world that's done every year. And the car that's behind me on the wall is Ken Block's uh, Porsche hill climb car, the Huna Pegasus, the purple Porsche or the pink Porsche that yeah, you've seen around. And I love it. I think it's one of the most interesting things. Uh, the cars just, I mean, you're, what you race is very different than what most of the bike speed guys were, were driving because this is just tons of crazy arrow downforce is key. Um, and with yours, it's two chassis, you know, heavily armored off-road race truck with slicks. Were you running slicks on it? No, I, I, uh, was not running slicks. Um, I couldn't get slicks in a 17 inch wheel and the width and the height and everything that I needed. Um, a lot of them were for 18s. And, and so I just, I couldn't get slicks from Yokohama. They didn't offer the correct size for me, but yeah, my, my car, I'm not going to say it didn't like belong there. It, it, what's unique about, uh, Pikes Peak Hill Climb is there is a wide variety of, of of cars racing you have anything from a 69 camaro to uh robin shoots full-blown looks like an indie car to me to uh, um like i said kim kim blocks car which i got the privilege of uh seeing and practicing with um last year as well so super uh super bummed out not to have him uh compete on race day due to due to, due to engine problems and uh yeah that's uh don't know if that car will ever get raced up at its full potential like it was supposed to. So definitely, uh, sure. Definitely a heartbreaking deal. Um, but no, to, to pick things back up to a little bit lighter, uh, I, uh, I, I actually hold a, hold a record on Pike Seek now. Um, not, not really Thanks. one that I'm, that I'm proud of. Um, I mean, I guess it's a record, but I'm the first car to ever roll and make it to the finish. So I rolled landed on my wheels, uh, drove back up on to the, uh, asphalt and kept going and made it to the finish line. <laughs> so, uh, you're probably one of the only competitors that has experience in rolling over and keeping going. Yeah. hundred percent. I, all those, all the rest, the, the guys and gals were just blown away that, that what just happened. They, they saw my, uh, they saw dirt on, on top of the the tubes and saw one of the panels all crushed in and stuff on, uh, on Loretta there. And they just, they, they couldn't, they literally could not comprehend on, on what just happened. 
that I that I could roll something and continue on. And really, to me, as an old four guy, I'm like, it's kind of just normal stuff. I mean, luck at the draw. I mean, I just I just have luck on my side, landed back on its wheels, and luckily I had beat luck, um, you know, wheels and kept on going. <laughs> I what what caused the the crash? Um, how did you end up getting in the ditch uh, upside down? Well, us, we like the jokes that we had a high pressure uh, line block the talent tank. Um, but in all actuality, it was just zero visibility. Um, you know, practicing um, all throughout the week, we had beautiful conditions. You know, you, 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 a lot of people don't realize that are we have to be on the mountain by like three or four o'clock in the morning every morning for practice and as a rookie they make you practice a week prior to pike Peak week uh, a lot of people don't realize that but you have to be on the mountain at that three four o'clock in the morning because as soon as it daylight breaks they're sending cars um so all all week and then you're off the mountain by eight o'clock in the morning even tourists start coming up as you're driving down but all all you know the weeks previous we had just beautiful sunny conditions, just I mean, crisp, just amazing. Race day shows up, snow, rain, fog, <laughs> all all of the above. You know, and it's, it's such a crazy uh, elevation gain that at the bottom it might be foggy, in the middle it might be rainy, and um, up towards the top it might be sunny, and then up at the very top it might be snowing. You know, that's literally how the conditions were. So. At, you know, at the bottom there, took off the line, and it's it's kind of it's rainy, fog's real heavy. I'm the second car off the line for the day, and just get in a bot that snuck up on me, and uh, very low visibility. It was a it was a hairpin corner out of nowhere called Engineer's Corner. That if you if you Google Engineer's Corner, you'll see a million people crashing right there in in the daylight. It comes from a, a nice flowy uh, section to boom hairpin corner that gives you a lot of false sense of hope, and that's exactly what happened to me. Um, you know, if you go to my page or go to YouTube, um, you can you can see the inboard um, uh, of me racing, and you'll see how much visibility I had, which wasn't very much. And like I said, hundred percent my fault. It just inexperienced copy. Um, not knowing the the hill like the back of my hand got me it's just p- part of it you know so i'll, I'll remember sure. the corner the next time <laughs> that's amazing that you did that my i my one of my the guy that got me into cars in high school um he works for a company called life motorsports and so they built that diesel powered nissan gtr oh yeah the, did you see that while you're green up there one. yeah the green one yep and so it's been really fun to watch him, his career take off and go and build these just insane hill-climb cars, time attack cars. Um, and so, you know, they had, they had engine problems also, oil starvation, and it was a thrash to get that thing up there. And I, they ended up not finishing as well, but that's just kind of par from the course with, with that place. I mean, it's, it's a brutal race. It, all of it's uphill and there's, I mean, and there's so many, so many ways to, to make errors and how, and how to be, uh, race on the uh, Absolutely. When you're trying to get a car, like a lot of people don't realize the elevation gain. Like I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. Maybe if I race another year, I'll be able to remember these numbers off the top of my head, but there's like a huge elevation gain. So you're asking a lot of the, of your motor to be able to do that, especially for cars like that, that are diesel, uh, or sorry, diesel and turboed where they're, they're actually have, uh, force yeah. up production you're asking a lot of the programming the mapping everything to get that car up to the top building good power um and you like i said you're just pushing all your components at, at all times right did you have problems with yours getting hot or just, with it being so open it was a cool chopper no know, well. um i didn't have a problem with mine getting hot at all every once in a while i'd be pushing the car uh, a little bit hard in sections and and it would maybe get warm, but not anything I'd be concerned about. The thing I struggled with was, was horsepower. I just, <laughs> a, a funny story, the, the very first practice run, you know, we're, we're, we're taking a brift and trying to push it uphill 
um, with, with the car with very limited horsepower. And I start off, Yokohama sends me 35 inch tires. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's probably gearing wise, you know, on paper, it checks out. Um, coming from Kansas. Oh, never raced it. Like, okay. Like, yeah, let's try 35s. I'm sure it'll be fine. Put 35s on the car for day one of practice. Um, and sent it up the hill and I could not, I mean, if, if I could physically press on the gas pedal harder, I, I would have, I, I could not get the car to go any faster. It was like, okay, there's, there is, we need more horsepower or less tire. Like which one's going to be easier to, to, to approach here. Obviously less tire. So I go to my Yokohama dude and I'm like, Hey, tomorrow practice. Can I have a set of 33s? Is there anything you can do for me? And he's like, ah, you know, it's Friday, uh, you know, sorry. Like we can get up here next week. I'm like, well, that's not, that's uh, too, too late for me. So I'm looking around trying to find a set of 33 inch tall tires on 17 inch rim. I look down at my tow truck and I'm like, hmm, Yokohama's 33 inch with 17 inch wheel. <laughs> and so we go back into town that day. And, uh, I have a buddy, uh, that I called up in Colorado Springs and I was like, Hey, I'm looking for this 33 by 17. Do you have any? He's like, yeah, I got a set of, uh, BFGs sitting here. I'm like, perfect. Can I come by your shop this afternoon? Yeah, come on. And so I went by his shop, took the tires off, the Yokohama tires off my Duramax, uh, mounted them on my race car tires and then took those BFGs and put them on the tow truck. So I could at least pull the car up to the hill. And then I, I finished that week of practicing out on my chase trucks tires the rest of the week <laughs> so yeah it was it was cool to say hey man i literally took the tires off my tow truck put it on the race car to race here this week uh anyway it woke the car up and a significant power difference there um and then on on for race week for practice we ended up getting a set of uh different tires that were actually 31s and even lighter that uh opened up the car even more and we actually gained from from day one to practice in that lower section to um my first practice on uh race week i picked up like 25 seconds in that one second one section so wow big setup and i, I learned a lot as i'm getting at here wow that's a that's a huge difference so you went from 40s to 35s to 33s and that was that was that the well, the 31s is, is about what i ran 31s yeah uh, again, but yeah, it's just trying to figure this stuff out. You, you're taking a car that wasn't meant to do that and trying to make it do that. And you're, you're having to learn the whole, the entire time. So, um, it was an exhausting week, but man, was it just one of the best weeks of my life. Oh, I can only imagine. I, I hope to one day race something in Pikes Peak, even if I don't finish, it would be amazing just to be in, be involved and be able to race on that course. Um, yeah, it's, it's a dream of mine. Who knows if it'll ever happen, but, if, uh, at least, at least get your feet wet, go, it. go, uh, right. I'm going to yeah, see, go see it. And then, uh, I'm not racing it again this year. Um, however, I plan on racing it. If all the, everything lines up, uh, in 24. So I, Sam, I'd love to have you out there. If, uh, if you wanted to come be a part of the crew. Love to, that'd be amazing. Or race the new oh, car. Yeah. Race the new car. This, the new car has a supercharger yep. on it, so it's really not a big deal to get a little bit more horsepower out of it. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. But just this year, it just it's an off-road race car, and we're trying to work out bugs. I need to I need to focus on it being an off-road race car, not a pike seat car sure. for just a little bit. But um, right. yeah, I've got some some ideas, and yeah, hope, hope hope to be even faster the next time I get the opportunity to race it. So cool. So. How do you work? So you're working out bugs on the new car. How much time do you spend outside of races, uh, out in the desert, working on it, tuning, testing, you know, getting it dialed in? Not as much as I truly like, because we are so far away from the desert. Um, we're anytime I go to California from Kansas, I'm, I'm 20 hours one way. And so not, not as much time as I'd like. Most of the time it's get the car back, uh, wash it, strip it. I send every single component off, every major component that, that is a huge wear item, like, like steering, a transmission, a transfer case, um, third member shocks. I, I box everything up 
I send them off to their manufacturers. Um, they get gone through and I get them back and put them back on the card. Normally, um, just in time to, to load the car up for the next race. Um, so a lot of times testing is the racing. Um, and I know to a lot of people that's going to sound absolutely crazy, but in off-road racing, especially there's there, you can't replicate race scenarios ever. You, you can't, you're never going to be beaten on the car as hard as you are. I could take my brand new race car and go out to the desert and drive it for 500 miles and never find anything wrong with it. Or maybe find at least sitting here or there, whatever, small stuff like that. You've just got to race it. You just got to, you just got to work the bugs out as far as that goes. And, and again, I'm a, I'm a small guy. I mean, I, I'm a, I have a, a pretty small program that I'm trying to do everything with. And I have a budget that I have to deal with. So I, I can't afford to take the car out there, you know, a month prior or whatever and have a crew of guys do it. It's all, it's all on me. <laughs> right. No, that's, but it's amazing that you're able to do it and, and compete with all the big dogs that are out there. And you no, know, it, for guys like me that are relatively new to the off-road world, it, it shows me that there's room for improvement and, you know, you put yourself out there and you go after the opportunities that you find, uh, you can really, you know, accelerate, uh, you know, the, your course, you can, you can, you can really work towards what you want to do and, and make things happen like you have. And it's really inspiring to be able to talk to you and, and learn your story and see, you know, exactly how you were able to pull it off. Cause you know, I think, I think every little boy wants to be a professional race car driver and, uh, you were able to pull that off. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Like, like one thing that's is, is I never had just the, the natural raw talent and I still don't know if I have the natural raw talent, but I'm going to, I'm going to outwork you. You know, I'm, we all have one thing I always remember is that we all have the same 24 hours in a day, me and all my competitors, when we show up to the race, we have the same 24 hours. So I just try to work my butt off from the second I get there to, to the second we're loading up the trailer. So whether that would be taking notes, uh, pre-running, trying to dial in the car, um, just, just knowing that, that hard work works is, is what has gotten me to where I am now. You know, a lot of people don't see the sacrifice of, of being in the shop till midnight on Christmas Eve and then like, you know, Thanksgiving day and stuff. Um, you know, pe- people don't see that. And that's, that's why I always say hard work works and just being a little bit of a yes man and being able to, uh, you know, be uncomfortable in c- certain situations and grow, um, is, is what's really important. And I think that's, I, I don't have it all figured out. I, I never will claim to have it all figured out. Um, but every day that I'm on this earth, I, I always want to be improving and get 1% better every single day and be, be, be learning, um, you know, something that I didn't know the day previously. Um, and I think that's important. I think that's important for, for anybody wanting to be a, a professional race car driver, um, know that it's not easy. Um, and I'm not your, your poster boy of what it's like to be a, a professional race car driver by any means, but, um, I'm doing my best and, uh, I, I, I hope to, to, to make my family proud and like my, my kids proud and, uh, you know, the, to end of the day, be, be somebody that, uh, you know, be, be a good role model for anybody really is what I'm getting at. Not just my kids. Absolutely. I love that. So what are your goals for the next year? Big picture. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? You know, I just want to keep on trying new stuff. Um, taking the Swiss army knife of the car to, to different places, um, and, and to maybe race it in different associations here or there. You know, I'm very fortunate to be able to have Ultra Four Racing Association and be able to race it. And, but, you know, my goals are are to to just keep climbing that ladder and to hopefully be a little bit more comfortable. Um, I'd love to have to be able to hire somebody to be able to do prep and uh, to to help me out and kind of be a right hand man. Um, so if anybody's interested, um, let 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 me know. Um, but just to try to kind of relieve some of the workload, but yeah, I just want to keep on, keep on racing, keeping able to keep on doing what I love. 
you know, I get asked all the time, like, 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 what, what do you want to do next? And like, Dude, I'm doing it. I am, I'm doing it. And if that, if there's a different opportunity that comes along, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm all in, but I, I'm doing what I love. Ultra four is such a big association and, and just growing with crazy momentum right now that I think it's a very good association to be involved with. Um, and yeah, I, I, I hope I answered your question there, Sam. I just, yeah, of course. No, absolutely. You know, and I think that's, I'm very much of the mindset like you are, you know, try to get better every day. Small improvements over a long period of time add up and, you know, you can make pretty incredible things happen. And, and I love that that's the attitude you take towards it and you positive attitude towards everything and just being kind to people. I mean, you said that and it's one of the keys of one of the things that's been key in your development um, as a racer is just being nice to people yeah. and, you know, helping people out. And that's, I felt that when I met you at the off-road expo, you know, and I, before I met you, I didn't know a whole lot about ultra four. I didn't know that you were an ultra four race car driver. And I was like, this guy just really wants to talk about cars and he seems really nice. And I had a great time chatting with you and, and then it clicked. I'm like, oh shit, this guy is like a legitimate professional race car driver. And that, um, it was really, it was, it was great to, it was, that was nice to have happen because there's other people that I've met that are really standoffish and it's, uh, you know, you don't make that connection with them and it's unfortunate, but you know, I, I really enjoy talking with you and, uh, learning from you and, you know, where, where can people go to check out your racing program um, and when's your next race? Yeah. So, um, they can go to all my social media handles, which are at Levi Shirley. Um, so at Levi Shirley on Instagram, Levi Shirley on YouTube. I'm, I'm not real active on Twitter. That's just not really, not, not really my thing. Um, I've even, uh, fired up the old TikTok machine. Um, so I, I nice. hope we don't get embedded with, you know, anything spire related now that I said that word. Um, uh, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so at Levi Shirley, again, uh, my next race is in Montana, uh, May 18th. Um, they have a pretty cool track up there. And then after that, we're going to be down in uh, Oklahoma in the middle part of June for uh, a race called Visions. And anybody that wants to come check out for racing and also maybe uh, relax and check out other forms of racing, um, there's a race called Visions down in uh uh, Oklahoma, Mid-America Outdoors in Jay, Oklahoma. Um, Tramps Pastrana is going to be there. He's promoting it huge. Um, they're building a one-of-a-kind one uh, nitro track there. Uh, Ultra 4, they're short course racing. They're just, they built this world-class facility there in Jay, Oklahoma. That's going to have a little bit of everything. So yeah, if you're interested and you're in the Midwest or even not want to fly in, uh, Jay, Oklahoma, middle part of June. Awesome, man. Well, I really had a ton of fun talking with you today and I learned a lot and I'm sure that people that are going to be listening to this learned a lot as well, um, getting inspired. So, you know, uh, anybody that is interested in you know, hearing more from other fabricators and race car drivers and just car enthusiasts, you know, come back, check out our podcast um, and also check out the Webster Auto Collective, which is the car club I'm putting together. We're um, providing a lot of resources to car enthusiasts to help them build their cars faster and cheaper and get some mentorship along the way because that's been really important to me and in my development as a car enthusiast. So uh, everybody, Levi Shirley, thank you so much again and everybody else, we will catch you in the next one.